Take out your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the ninth chapter. We've been dealing with revival the last few weeks and looking at what it means for you and I to prepare our hearts for revival. We've talked about, looked at the various revivals that have taken place under uh, God's leadership, under those people, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, uh, you know, Jonah, uh, all of those things that took place as God's people would begin to put into place the principles of revival. And what the Word of God teaches us is that if you and I will take those very same principles and place them into our lives as scriptural truth. If we will believe that God's word is God's word, that Jesus is the Son of God, and we will begin to allow him to be Lord in our life, what happens is the word of God tells us revival begins to take place. God does what he says he'll do because he is true to his word. And this morning, we're going to look at kind of the last plank in the bridge towards revival that we've been building, and that is, that is prayer. What does it mean for you and I to really begin to pray for revival? What does it mean for us to truly seek uh, God in, in worship? And so this morning, as we look at that, there's some prayer principles that, that God has outlined in Scripture, and we're going to be in about three different passages today very quickly looking at some aspects of prayer from the life of Jesus and the life of the early church that, that help us understand what it means, how you and I are to truly pray for revival. Uh, our vision as a church, we voted on this, we've adopted this, we try to live and, and govern every minister that we have by this, is to reach people for Jesus Christ, con connecting them to the body and to, to one another in fellowship uh, growing them through discipleship and the study and the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God and leading them to seek to be before the face of God in everything that we do. That's what worship is, that, that we come. And worship is not just this, okay? Uh, this, this is, and I pray that this morning be a worship time for you, okay? But worship is any time you and I come before God, that we gain that understanding that I can worship corporately, I can worship individually. And, and so this morning, as we think about those four components of our vision, reach, connect, uh, grow, seek, we're going to look this morning at how the plank of prayer helps us begin to, to pray for revival and to pray for those things that God desires to do in our lives and in the lives of others. If you have your Bibles open there to the Gospel of Matthew, the ninth chapter, if you would please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. Beginning in verse 37 and 38, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, Pray to the Lord of harvest to send out workers into his harvest. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning uh, as we have read it and as we share it together. Let's pray. Father, I ask you in these next few moments just to still us. I, I pray, God, for your words. I, I pray that, that the study and the preparation you've given me this week will, uh, God, just uh, surrender to what you want to say. And, and, Father, that you will lead uh, in these next few moments uh, for your glory. God, I pray today that you mess us up. Uh, I pray today that you, you scramble us uh, to get our attention and help us to understand what it is that you really want us to pray for and how we pray and, Father, how you answer those prayers through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, speak this morning. Change lives uh, that Jesus Christ would be exalted. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. There's some things that the Bible tells us, and, and, and I ask you know, this morning, do we really believe? God, make us believe. Because the honest truth is, we say our goal, part of our vision, the first pillar of our 
church's vision is to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. But, but I ask you to really consider, is that really what you want to do, okay? And, and there's not a one of us here this morning that would say, no, I, you bet, I want to reach the lost. But let me tell you something, when you reach the lost, it gets messy, okay? Um, they don't talk like we do, all right? They don't carry the same Bible that you do. They park in your parking space. They sit in your pew, okay? You're getting a little bit of taste of that this morning, okay? Probably some of you had somebody else sitting in your pew, okay? Um, and, and when we reach the lost, that's going to happen. Praise be to God if that happens, okay? Now, Jesus is talking here, and he tells his disciples that, that this is what God wants. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. The harvest is abundant. Therefore, pray to the Lord of harvest that he send his workers into his harvest. You see, Jesus knows he's come. His ministry is starting. This is early in, in, in his ministry. He's called the 12 disciples to be with him and to begin to reach people and to teach people. And Jesus knows that there are going to be hundreds of thousands upon millions who will come to faith in him and whose lives will be changed and who will begin to realize their original purpose, which is to live for God through faith in Jesus. He knows that. But he also knows that the only way that that's going to take place is if people begin to be the workers for the harvest. And so what he does is he teaches his disciples to begin to pray in obedience with him. He's just teaching his disciples about revival, and he's teaching them to pray the prayer that he's already praying. He's praying, Lord, Give me those that are going to go with me. Lord, show me those who are going to go and take up the ministry, who are going to begin to do the things that you've called them to do in my name. And so he teaches the disciples to pray in obedience to him. He says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send his workers into the harvest field. That word there for pray, if you mark or underline your Bible, circle the word pray, and out on the margin write, bind us to. It's a different word. It's not the normal word that means to bow before. Uh, the word proskuneo or, or to bow before, to bow towards is a word for prayer and worship. But that's not the normal word here. This is a word that means to chain yourself to these types of prayers. So Jesus was saying to the disciples, I want you to be a part of this and I want you to, to, to pray these things and we are to bind ourselves to this type of prayer. And this is a command. Jesus isn't saying if you would like to or if you think it's a good thing, or if you occasionally remember that. What Christ is saying, red letters, Jesus speaking, therefore, because the harvest is plentiful, because there are people who need to believe in me, because there are people who need their marriages changed, because there are people who need to be healed, because there are people who need life, because, therefore, pray this way. You and I to engage individually and collectively in the prayer. And this is how it begins to happen. As we begin to pray, God, here's a family friend of mine that I know that needs to come to Jesus Christ. Lord, here's a marriage of, of, of some friends of ours that I know need your healing hand. God, here, here's a coworker that I need you to reach. God, hey, my neighbor doesn't know you. As we begin to carry those burdens to the Lord in prayer, what God begins to do is he begins to employ us right where he has put us to be the vehicle he uses to touch them. Pray. Jesus knew if he told the disciples to pray, it wasn't going to be long before they were right there in the work with him. That's what God wants us to do. 
He wants us to begin to pray for people. And as we pray, he begins to change our heart. He begins to adjust us. He begins to shape us and employ us and put us to work. Because, you see, here's the deal. You know the people that you're burdened to reach? Probably most of them, you're the only person that can reach them. You've already got the connection. You're already their neighbor. You're already their co-worker. But instead, what we do a lot of times is we pray Lord, let the pastor go teach them or let the pastor go visit them or it's the youth pastor's job to reach the youth. No, it's not. It is our job to equip you and to help you and to teach you and to train you for the work that God has already prepared in advance for you to do. Ephesians 2.10 isn't written to pastors. It's not just written to deacons. It's not just written to Sunday school teachers. For we are God's workmanship. We, collective, all of us together are God's workmanship prepared in advance or or created and prepared, shaped, molded in advance for the work that he's already prepared for us to do. That's your job. And so what I'm supposed to do is I begin to engage in prayer. And as I engage in prayer, what happens is God begins to take those burdens and he changed me to them. He won't let me get away from them. They begin to own me to the point that I pick up the ministry to those people. Will we begin to pray in earnestness and passion for the people that God has placed around us to reach? We pray for healing of our friends, and we should. We pray for the the, the women and the men that our sons and our daughters are going to marry. We pray for God's provision. We pray for God's answers. But will we begin to pray for the people who are lost? God, burden our heart. God, break us from our complacency. We no longer will sit back, but that we will begin to be the ones who pray. God, answer in these lives. God wants us to reach people. And the only way we can do that is together in Christ. And then the second thing that I want you to see is not only are we supposed to pray to the Lord of Harvest, but secondly, we're supposed to pray for ourselves. Turn uh, just a few pages over towards the back of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 26. Matthew 26. And we're going to be in uh, the, the verses as Christ is in the garden. Starting at about verse 40, Matthew 26, 40. It's on page 934 in my Bible. <laughs> then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus is in the garden, and he is interceding. He is submitting himself. And, and you know, I've, I've probably in my, in, in my past preached that Jesus was, was struggling with the cross, and Jesus was struggling with death. But I'm going to tell you, is the more I've studied this passage, Jesus wasn't struggling with any of those things. What Jesus Christ was struggling with here in this passage of Scripture is he is the holy, perfect, never sinned, eternal being. He is forever God, always has been, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's who he is. And what he is struggling with is he is struggling with the perfect, the holy, becoming sin. 
your sin, my sin, our sin. He's struggling with the sin of the world being laid on him, him becoming sin so that the heavenly father who never forsook anybody would forsake him in that moment. And he's there and he's praying and he's taken James and John and Peter, these three, these guys who are part of his inner circle, they are the same three who saw him raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. He, they went with him. He's the only, the only three that he allowed to go in when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. They were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. They've seen him when the humanity was stripped off of him and the Godhead was there displayed in his power and his authority. They've seen that and here these three are called to go to the garden with him and he says two things, watch and pray. And the word for watch means to stay awake, to be alert, to stay vigilant. And then he says to pray, and this is a normal word for prayer. It is those verbal requests, those petitions that we make to God. But he says very specifically that they are to pray so that they won't fall into temptation. Jesus is going through a lot of stuff. But he also knows that these men that are with him are going through a lot of stuff. And what he tells them to do is he tells them to pray so that they won't fall into temptation. You see, Jesus knew in the moments just beyond the garden that these very men were going to be put into the temptation of doubt. Is he really the Messiah? Really? This isn't what I thought it was going to be. This isn't how I envisioned this working out. This isn't what I signed up for when I signed up. Is he really the Messiah. And what Jesus wanted them to pray for is he wanted them to pray that verbal petition to God so that God would strengthen them that when they did doubt and when they did struggle, that as they petitioned God, they would be given the strength to work through those struggles and to go through those tough times in God's strength. They've seen Jairus' daughter live. They've seen Jesus transfigured. And Jesus says, watch. Can you imagine being given the the invitation to watch the Messiah worship? I mean, think about that. That's what he was doing. He was on his face, prostrate before God in worship pouring out his heart in worship, interceding in his spirit in worship. They were given the invitation to watch the Messiah worship. Look at him. Watch me, Jesus says. And you and I have been challenged to behold the lamb, to look upon the cross, empty yet stained, with his blood, holy and perfect because of my sin and because of your sin. And we are challenged. Look, watch, stay alert. Don't let that forget. And as you are reminded of that, we are challenged to pray those verbal reminders that you and I need to hear before God, those verbal reminders that we need to be encouraged in those times of doubt that are going to come. How did Jesus know they were going to come? John the Baptist. The very one who is the forerunner of Messiah. 
the one who is his cousin, the one who prophesied, here he is, behold, the Lamb of God. Look at the Lamb. All of those things. John the Baptist is in prison. It's not what he signed up for. It's not what he bargained for. Jesus is supposed to be king. He's supposed to make the path straight. All this stuff's not working out how I thought. I'm in jail. Send his disciples. Go find out. Is he really the one or should we look for somebody else? If John the baptizer doubted, I promise you Sean Brewer's going to doubt. Peter. Hey, I mean, Peter's going to doubt so much. Watch, Peter, and pray. Pray for yourself. Lord, I'll never deny you. Yeah, Peter, you're going to blow it. It's going to happen. No, Lord, never. I, it's not, not me. All those other guys, yeah. The other 11, you bet. Not me. And Peter's going to doubt so much that in just a few moments, he's going to deny that he ever knew him. And he's going to go through those next few days until Jesus Christ restores him wondering, was he really the Messiah or did I miss it? Guys, we're all going to go through some struggles. We're going to go through some hurt. We're going to go through some pain. We're going to go through some of our own mess ups. We're going to sin against the holy God. How I know that, 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sin, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even as a believer, you and I are going to blow it. And we're going to doubt. That's, that's the number one weapon that Satan uses against you It's doubt. And when those times come, the word of God says that I am supposed to pray for myself, to pray for the strength, to pray, to know that he is still God. I don't care what you're going through today. I don't care where your marriage is. I don't care where your home is. I don't care what you're struggling with in your health. I don't care what you're struggling with in your finances. The word of God says he is God and he's still God. And that's what we've got to begin to pray for. When I have interceded and when I have poured out my heart and when I have bound myself as he says in prayer and it doesn't seem to be working out the way that I want, that he is still God and he's still on his throne. And then the third thing he says in Acts chapter 3, turn there very quickly. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Not only am I supposed to pray to the Lord of the harvest, and not only is it okay and, and important for me to pray for myself, but the third thing that, that we are specifically instructed to pray for, for revival to come, or for those times of refreshing. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Luke is writing here, and he says, Therefore repent and turn back, that your sins may be wiped out, so that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Does that say a season? No. Seasons. The continual presence of God. Now I want to put in historically, I want to put historically what took place in this instance. Jesus has been crucified. He has been buried. He has been resurrected. He has ascended into heaven. The apostles have been empowered with the presence of the Holy Spirit. God is moving in their midst. Peter has gone into Solomon's colonnade and he has begun to preach this Jesus whom they had crucified. He is preaching this Jesus whom they had crucified and in the process of preaching that, there is a lame man who is healed. 
when the lame man is healed, all the people who believe they'd gotten rid of Jesus and that all that stuff he had done was going to be forgotten are now reawakened to the fact that his power and his truth and his ability is still here. And so they come and they're excited and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And Peter doesn't say a lame man got healed. Peter preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's trying to tell them, if you'll get this straight, Jesus will come back now. One of my dearest friends this side of glory was a man named John Randalls. John used to have this theory of the second coming of Christ. And he said that it is a time that is fixed in Jesus's, in God's mind, the Father's mind. It's, it's a set time. It's there. God knows when it is. But John said in his thought process, and you and I both know he was sometimes a little messed up, but, but he said it's not a set time. You see, through history, there have been spirits of the Antichrist that have arisen. Stalin, Nero, Hitler, Mussolini, uh, I'm a nut job in Iran. I mean, all those people. There have been the spirit of Antichrist that has arisen. And every time that that spirit of Antichrist has arisen, the church has risen against that and stood. That's exactly what Peter was saying here. You read this passage of Scripture, and what Peter says is to the people who crucified Jesus Christ, if you'll get this straight, if you'll get this figured out, this very Jesus that you saw go will come back now. And I believe that is exactly what the Word of God is saying to His church today. You and I need to begin to get this right now because Jesus is coming. I don't know when. I'm not a prophet. I'm not going to tell you it'll be in the next year. I used to think that maybe it wouldn't even be in my lifetime. I don't know. It may be tomorrow, but what I know is today we are closer today than we were yesterday, and if he doesn't come back today, we're going to be closer tomorrow than we were today. Jesus is coming again. That's the truth. And what you and I are supposed to do is exactly what Peter told these men and women who had crucified Jesus. First of all, repent and confess your sin. That is a personal individual thing that I come and I get on my face before holy God and I lay out who I am in personal repentance and confession and then what he says I then receive times seasons of refreshing and that phrase there is national repentance do you want to see our nation come back to God do you believe that revival can come again to this nation starts with you and it starts with me and personal confession and personal repentance so that those times of, of refreshing can come from God. That word for refreshing is a phrase that means the wind, the renewal of life, life again. That's what it means, Vi into your Christian life that on Sunday morning when we get up it's not just man I'm checking the box 
But on Sunday morning or, or on Monday morning, especially on Monday morning, when I open the word of God, that God begins to speak in power into my life. And I walk through that life knowing that Jesus Christ is alive and that he's coming again. That there's vitality in what I do. That there's truth in my witness. That there's vitality in the way I live. That life has changed and life is new. Old things have gone. New things have come. That's what it means to have a time of refreshing in your life. And that's what God wants for you. In Genesis 2, the Bible speaks of the creation of man. And it says that God formed man. And that he breathed into him the breath of life. That Hebrew word is nepesh. It is the spirit, the soul that God breathed his life, his breath into those people. And I want to tell you, that's what God wants to do today. As he wants to begin to breathe vitality into our lives as a part of the body of faith. Verse I shared with our kids this morning in the children's sermon, John 20, 31. But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have Life in his name. Abundant life, full life, complete life, total life, eternal life. Life now and then. Life that is real here, that changes you. And because it changes you, it changes others. And guys, if we try to live this life in our own strength and our own ability, what it does is it leaves us miserable and unfulfilled, leaves us worn out. When I try to deal with stuff in my own strength, man, I'm worn out. And so this morning, maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're a believer, and the honest truth is you've been living life lately in your own strength. You've been trying to work the problems in your marriage in your own strength. You've been trying to deal with that coworker or that friend in the church, and the reality is you've been praying about somebody. Maybe you grew up with them, and now you're crossways. Maybe it's, it's a brother or a sister, and you can't stand to look e at each other, and you dread the holidays because you've got to be with them. Maybe it's your wife or it's your husband. Maybe it's your kids that you can't stand. I don't know. But what you're praying is, Lord, change their attitude. Lord, change their heart. And what I really believe the Holy Spirit's saying is, hey, ding dong, wake up. I want to change you. I want to change your heart. I want to change your spirit. I want to breathe life into you again, new life. And if we're believers, man, that's what we need to do. For some of us here this morning, Maybe you've been, you've been carrying a burden. You've got a friend that you know that needs to come to Christ or a brother or a sister, a co-worker, and, and that burden needs to be represented in a card just like this. So you just need to write their name down. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your dad, your mom. Kid you go to school with, somebody you, and you just want to write their first name. And in, in just a moment, you're going to write their first name, and you're going to bring it, and you're just going to put it right here. And let me tell you what's going to happen is we're going to begin to pray for those names. We don't have to know who they are. We don't have to know their last name. We don't care. God does. But maybe that's a burden that you need to bring and begin to pray for. Maybe the honest truth is this morning what you need is life. And what you've had 
is a vaccination against life. You've had religion. And let me tell you what religion will get you, worn out. You try to live this stuff in your own strength, your own ability, and do all the right things, check all the right boxes, it'll wear you out. And that's not what God wants. God wants our worship, our life to be full. And maybe this morning you just need to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved to truly ask Christ to be Lord of your life once and for all. Just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time where we just say, God, you do in our life what you want to do. Maybe for some of us it's to simply begin to say, God, send revival. Send your revival, Father, to our hearts. Let God be Lord.